I'm really excited as we start a new series today on the parables. I've been more and more encouraged as I've dug in to these first few parables and doing the research and looking at God's Word. Now, we're going to look at these parables, essentially short stories that Jesus told, and stories that as you read them, you just know. There's, he's not just talking about what he's talking about. There is something deeper and more profound I'm supposed to get from these words and from these stories. And you then might ask the question, well, how, how do I know what they mean? Can I even know what they mean? And I hope today as we look at God's Word that you will be encouraged. Not only that you can know what the hope is within these words and find the right meaning, but that you can then apply it to your life and see transformation and change in areas where you want to grow. And not only that, but you will grow in your appreciation and love for Jesus who gives us these stories and has an intention for them, for our good. So we're going to start today with Matthew 13. The parable is within verses 1 through 23 of Matthew 13. But today, we're going to mostly focus on the center section of that, verses 10 to 17, which is where Jesus begins to tell the story, and His disciples then say, why are you speaking to them in parables? And so we'll focus on Jesus' answer to that question. And then, Lord willing, next week, we'll actually look at this first parable. So if you would, please... Listen and hear the Word of God in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 17. That day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to Him. So He got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell in the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. 
For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is God's Word. Lord, we come before Your Word today and we ask You to give us eyes that see, give us ears that hear, and above all else, O Lord, give us a heart to understand who You are and what You want, not only from us, but for us. For we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So depending on how you, you reckon a parable, how, how much structure and you know, words and components it has to have, do you have any idea in just the Gospels, not double counting, things that appear in multiple, how many parables Jesus spoke? It's at least two dozen, probably 30 or so. Uh, the way I counted them up. 30. Just call it 30, nice round number. 30 parables. Do you know how many that he gave an interpretation and explanation of to any level of detail? Of the 30, how many? Did he say, this means that, this means that, here's what I'm saying. Somebody got it. Two. Two out of the 30. And you know what? We're starting the series on parables and we're starting with those two. <laughs> because... They're foundational because Jesus emphasizes in this parable of the sower and the soils, the guy casting seed and the soils that receive it, and then in the next parable to come at the end of chapter 13, the, the parable of the wheat and the weeds or tares, in those two parables, Jesus lays a foundation for us. And in fact, he says over in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, that if, if we don't understand this one, we're not going to stand, understand any of them. It implies that if we understand this one, we can understand all of them. And he gives us this foundation as he emphasizes the need to hear what he has to say, carefully listening. In fact, oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, at least a dozen times, just in verses 13 through 23 of chapter 13 of Matthew, just in those 9, 10, 11 verses, he mentions hearing almost every verse, at least once, if not twice. He wants us to hear what he has to say. He wants us to understand what he has to say. And in so doing, the mysteries of the kingdom, things that people did not understand in days gone by, before Jesus came, those things will be open to us. And they are in a sense, just hidden right there in plain sight. If we will listen, if we will learn from Jesus how to understand what he's saying, we'll have not only that access, not, not only that understanding, but we will be transformed. We will be changed 
in good and positive ways. So how do we do that? How do we develop these ears to hear? Well, I want to walk through four steps today. Starting with this first step, which is to listen to what is there. Listen to what is there. First off, that means listening to the content. What actually Jesus is saying. Reading the words. Listening to the words. Looking up what you don't know from some source that you trust or asking someone who you know is understanding. We live in a day and age when there are so many tools out there accessible either very cheaply or even free. That doesn't mean that everything on the internet is great. Lord willing, this week I want to pull together some resources and send them out in the newsletter, uh, some trusted and reliable resources where you can, you can read the Scripture and look up some things that maybe you don't understand or maybe it's confusing. For example, you know, in verse 2 it says that Jesus gets in a boat and goes out on the water while the crowds are on the beach and He begins to teach sitting down. That, that ought to, I hope, raise several questions in your mind. Like, why is He on a boat? Why is He sitting down? What, what is the lake? You know, all of these kind of things come to your mind. And rather than just going, I think I know what it is, you just do a little work. You do a little research. And you would find that among other things, in those days, a teacher or rabbi Someone that people followed to learn from would sit down to teach. They wouldn't stand behind a pulpit or stand in a classroom in front of a whiteboard. They would sit, and their followers would sit around them usually, or even stand. But they would listen, and, and sitting was the position for a teacher. On top of that, you might find, and this is a little bit debated, that in that area where Jesus was teaching, there were hills uh, even maybe cliffs in the background behind the beach where if you were standing at the right place and maybe out on the water with the water itself reflecting your voice, your voice could be heard all over. It would carry like an amphitheater, like the, is it the man over in Fairmount Park? You know, it's a natural and man-made there. But in, in Jesus' day, there was a natural echoey area where his voice would carry and people could hear him. And the crowds, bottom line, were huge. And they would have crushed in on him. Everybody wanted to get down front, right? And so he gets some space and all can hear him. Those are some of the things that as you read the passage, those are things to look at. The content. What's going on? Do I really understand these words that are in the Bible? And rather than just thinking you do or just skipping on, just stop and, and, and dig down into them. And look up what you don't understand. You know, in those days, not only would the teacher sit, but the people who would sit around him to learn from him, they, they didn't really have much in the way of pen and paper. Right? They had very little of anything to keep notes on. Sometimes they had a writing instrument and they would write on their clothes. And in those days, you had like maybe one outer garment, you know, maybe two. But they valued the teaching so much they would sometimes write on their clothes as a listener. And as a speaker, you would be working to be as memorable as you can. 
And that was something, as you read through the Gospels, as you read what Jesus says, you can see he's a master of that. And that's one function of the parables, right? They're very easy to remember. Especially, you know, Pastor Dave, given the children's illustration there. You could, now you, you will remember this story, right? You can very easily picture, oh, there's, there's four soils. One's this, the thorns, you know, one's the road. Uh, one is the thorns, and one is the good soil. You can, you, if you give any effort to that, you will not forget it, right? So that's, that's one of the functions. But Jesus didn't just teach in parables so we would remember them. In fact, that along with the content, listening to Jesus and to what is there means you're not only going to look at the content, you're not only going to read the content, but you're going to look at the context. The content of what is written and then the context, which includes in the Bible what's before it and what's after it, which includes what's going on in that time, in that day and age. Because if you do that, then you'll recognize that here in Matthew 13, it starts off verse... One saying, that day. What day? You know, that's a question you should say. It says that day. What day? If you just jumped into this passage, what day? Well, the day that started in Matthew 12 and all the things that seem to have happened in there. This is the day that Jesus speaks in these parables. And it says he begins speaking to them. The sense being that he just is going to keep speaking to them in parables. As opposed to the last big teaching section in Matthew. You remember when that was? If, you, if you're familiar with the Bible, it was back in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. What we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus spoke on a mountain. People gathered around Him, the crowds. His disciples closer, the crowds all around. But He spoke plainly. He went to the Scriptures and said, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. He was very clear, but he also used lots of figures of speech. He used metaphors saying, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're the lilies of the field are dressed better than Solomon. You enter through the narrow gate. Build your house on the rock. Jesus spoke very clearly, but he also used word pictures to be understood. To say, you know, you can trust God. He takes care of the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. He says this, God's Word's important. Just build your life on it like you would build a house on solid ground to understand. But now, that was chapter 5-7. through seven. Now, after verse 12, when the Pharisees are really beginning to, to hound Jesus, after the Pharisees are beginning to criticize Him for the, His healing, criticize Him for what He does on the Sabbath, criticize Him for not being like they think He should be, and bottom line, threatening their understanding, threatening their image as the ones who know, threatening their power and influence, all of those things working in the background. As that begins to happen, Jesus now says, I'm going to speak to them, to the masses, in parables. That's the context, right? So there's a sense as you look at parables, you've got to know that they both kind of make things clear, but they also kind of make things unclear. For those who are interested, for those who have ears to hear, it can become clear. You put a little work and time and effort in it. For those who are rejecting him, for those who don't respect him, it's, it's not going to help them any, right? They're, they're not going to listen. They're not going to bother to do the effort. They're going to they're, they're do what every human being does, right? You're going to be like, oh, you know, that's just not, he's wrong. I can find one little nitpicky thing and 
I know that I don't have to listen to him. And the bottom line being, because I really don't want to hear what he has to say. Those things are all going on. That context here, as Jesus speaks, and, and, and as you dig in to reading the things that Jesus says, I don't know how you can't help but grow in your respect for him and admiration, which even uh, liberal, unbelieving scholars, people who just think this is all man-made, they see enough in here that they're just impressed with Jesus' ability to use words and communicate with things that you know maybe you remember from some literature class long ago or something in school, hyperbole and irony and metaphor and analogy and metonymy and all of those kind of things that you could look up, but you just know as you read it, wow, this is really interesting the way he communicates and you understand what he's saying. Because Jesus used all of those things. Jesus was a master of language, most likely in Aramaic, some in Greek, but he was a master of using it to communicate and in ways that it would translate into Greek, into English, and we would still be impressed. So as you read Jesus, don't forget that. That's part of the context, right? Don't be thinking Jesus is, is, is like me. Read him for who he is. Read what he actually says. And if you spend time listening to him, as well as broadly reading the Scriptures, you're going to begin to understand. You're going to begin to get a feel for who Jesus is, how he communicates, and you begin to understand with, without knowing metonymy and irony and all those kind of things. You just read him like a human being. You see what he says, and you're like, oh, I get it. When he says things like that, he's kind of being ironic. He doesn't really mean that. He's being facetious. He's kidding. You know, like you would know another human being. If you know me, if, you, if you're around me very often, I hope you figure out that I have a really dry sense of humor. Right? And, I'm, and I'm not super funny. Maybe after you think about it for a long time, it'll be funny. But then I have to explain things, and it's not really that funny anymore, as it is. Right? But if you got to know me and my family, and unfortunately, you know, this is the culture in our, our home, where we all get each other, and someone comes in, and they just are kind of like, oh, uh, uh, oh, I get it, yeah. But my friend, who I happened to go to the soccer game with last night, who I've known since third grade, we hardly spend any time together. We text once in a while, but we sit down and we start talking within five minutes and we're making jokes and we're understanding each other because we have spent tons of time together. So hear this for one thing. If you used to spend a lot of time with Jesus and you haven't lately, it's not gone, right? Just start spending time with him and you'll be like, oh, this is the guy. This is the guy I love. This is the guy. Oh, yes. It'll come back. If you haven't done that, try it out. Spend some time with Jesus and see if you don't begin to understand him and be like, this is, this is one amazing guy. That's part of how we're going to understand these parables as we dig into them, to, to listen to what is there, the content and the context. But that's not enough, right? That's, that's the message, right, and the one who's sending it. But the next step is to think about the hearer's to look for what was surprising to them. Look for what was surprising to them. And some things are going to be surprising to you as you read the parables, as you read scriptures in general, right? I mean, these things are 2,000 years old. They're still relevant. 
They're still amazing, but some things are going to surprise you that chances are didn't surprise them when Jesus was speaking there in the boat from the water to the people actually standing there in front of him. Things like sitting down to teach. Oh, wow, I wonder what that means. Well, it, it means he was teaching. It'd be as exciting as the professor stood up to lecture from the front of the room. Not very exciting, is it? No. As you go, oh, why are they there on the water? Oh, it's huge crowds. Lots of people. Okay. Just a piece of data. Not a lot there other than to say Jesus was attracting large crowds. Those farmers, what's with the scattering the seeds? Widely. Who puts the seed on the road? I mean, there's like asphalt, like Pastor Dave was saying. Right, that's what we're thinking, is it not? Okay, the road that was better at path, you know, it's better to think of a path, that word there. A, a, a place that people had walked through the guy's field time and again during the season and beat it down so that it was hard. And so it makes sense. This farmer's like, I'm going to get that path back. Maybe, I don't know, it might be a waste, but it's dirt. You know, maybe it'll grow. You know, it's a path. People walked on it and beat it down. Well, why, what, what happened? why isn't he plowing? Why doesn't he get the John Deere fired up and get some those big, deep furrows? Well, it's a little debated how they farmed some of the techniques, but, but there is some evidence that they actually would often plow after scattering the seed. That seems odd to us. But it wouldn't seem odd to those hearing Jesus speak. Right? There's not some great principle to derive from that. We just need to understand that to look for the things that are surprising to them, not necessarily to us. That means we're going to have to work. You can't just, and by the way, this, this, is, this is a place where, where we as Christians fail to grow. If, if you're stunted in your walk with Jesus, this might be a place where maybe you're not working hard enough to understand what the Scripture says. And you're leaping from what it says there as you read it to, well, I feel like this means to me. Have you ever been in a small group where that comes out? You know, uh, in my 20s in the Bible study where I met my wife, all kinds of people in our age, right? And none of us seminary trained, uh, some of them not even really attending church very much. I was a young convert. And, and people would say that. You'd be reading about, well, I feel like this means blah, blah, blah. And it'd be like just this so far off the wall thing. And you're like, I don't think it means that, but how do I? I mean, what's, why is my interpretation any better than your interpretation? You know, how can we even know the truth? That's, I mean, it's now a long time since I was in my 20s. Um, and it hasn't gotten any better at saying there's a chance to have truth. But brothers and sisters, there is truth. And it requires us to, to do a little bit, to work a little bit on understanding what's here. C.S. Lewis said some, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, maybe at this point, that God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than of any other slackers. If you're thinking of becoming a Christian, he said, this is his evangelistic message. If you're thinking of becoming a Christian, he says, in a college setting to, to scholars and to uh, very intelligent people, right? So he's challenging that audience I warn you, you're embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. 
So for us, that doesn't necessarily mean you got to go to college to understand the scriptures, but it might mean you need to put a little more effort into it. That you need to spend a little more time concentrating on what it says. Maybe instead of, this week, instead of maybe you have a Bible reading plan and you're doing three chapters a day, right? maybe you just read this, this story every day this week and reflect on it. And we can compare notes next Sunday, Lord willing, when we dig into this parable a little more. But it might require some effort. It's going to require some effort. Because before being a hearer yourself, if you really want to understand the Scriptures in general and the parables in particular, if you really want to understand them, you're going to have to see what it meant to the people Jesus was speaking to. What surprised them? And so as you read this, you know, what do you think surprised them? It wasn't that he sat down. It wasn't he's out on a boat. It wasn't the way the farmers scattered the seed. It wasn't there were four different types of soil. There was a lot of rocky ground. There was not a lot of good soil. There were paths on places. There were thorns. Right? What surprised people? Most likely, what would have surprised the people listening to Jesus in that day was almost at the very end. When he says... Some yielded a hundredfold, some sixtyfold. By that, that just means times. A hundred times. One seed got a hundred pieces of fruit. You know, some sixty, some thirty. And again, there's some debate about what was the average crop yield in Palestine in the period from around 6 BC to 30 AD. And you can go do all kinds of scholar research on that, right? But the consensus is a really good crop was most likely around 15 times. That's a really good crop. Average crops, most likely less than 10. 5 to 15 times. Jesus started off with 100. And then he said 60, then he said 30. So the, the, the smallest crop for this guy scattering the seed that hits the good soil, the smallest crop was like two times a really good crop in their minds. So the thing that's most surprising to them is probably just that. They're like, wow, that's a lot. That's an abundance. That's a huge harvest. I wish my farm would get that much. I wish my tomatoes, the few seeds that I plant in the backyard, would grow and have that many. An abundance. I wouldn't care if people ate from my peach tree as they walked by down my street. Or if the squirrels took like half of them, wouldn't be as big a deal if I got like a hundred times. Right? Squirrels are so annoying, by the way. This pe the peaches are not even ripe, and you're pulling it off, and you take a bite and you leave it in my yard. Oh. If you ever want to go squirrel hunting, I know a place where the season is open. Oh, I'm just kidding. Please don't call people for the ethical treatment of animals or Upper Darby Animal Control or anybody else, man. You know, if I could have that kind of harvest, that would be amazing. That's what most likely these folks were thinking. Wow, that's an abundant harvest. That's a crazy, insane large harvest. And it comes most likely, more often than not, the, the surprising thing, the thing that should get your attention. So it's not always like, ooh, wow, you know, jaw dropper. The thing that gets your attention, in other words, it's probably going to happen at the, near the end of the story. That's the way stories work, right? There's some characters, there's some plot, there's some setting, stuff happens, there's obstacles, it looks like you're going to not get there and do the thing, or, you know, 
and then something else happens, there's another obstacle, and then it's like, oh, the thing happens, and you realize, oh. So Jesus tells these stories, and not unlike, uh, what's his name, M. Night Shyamalan with his clever plot twists at the end, you go, oh, I need to rethink this whole movie. I need to rethink this whole story. He wasn't just telling me about scattering seed and the way it works here in Palestine. He's trying to tell me something. What's he trying to tell me? And to get that answer, you have to not only listen, content and context, you have to not only look at what's surprising to them, not so much to you. So you now you have to think about who Jesus is and what he's saying, and think about what they heard, and then bring your own self to that. But then you have to line up what corresponds in the story to the deeper realities. According to the intention of Jesus, not to whatever's in your mind and your own creativity. Because Jesus had an intention, a point. So line up your understanding of the parable with the intention of Jesus, which you can know. This is basically, what I'm saying is you could describe, uh, as one person did, a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story, it's got seeds and soil and people, right? Common things. It's an earthly story, but it has a heavenly or deeper meaning by intention, on purpose. Uh, in, in other words, parables are essentially analogies where Jesus is saying, this is like that with respect to this particular feature. Okay? This, you, know, you ever take those standardized tests back in the day that had like, you know, the, the word and then a colon and then another word and then a word and a blank and you'd be like, okay, that's to that as this is to that. You know, black is to white as hot is to, hmm. Salsa? No. West African rice? No. Hot? No, they're the same. Hot and rice, right? I love it. I'm not criticizing. I enjoy that. It's a good thing. Uh, hot is to cold, right? Black, white, opposites. Hot, cold, opposites. So in the parable, you go, this is to that. So what is the this? What is the that? What is the thing that is with respect to? It's not every single element, okay? This is not... Uh, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, who made this elaborate allegory where everything in the story stands for something, and, and like he almost beats you over the head with it. You know, as you go through the slough, the, the, the was that a, a marsh of despond, of despair, right? He's making it real clear. You know, Jesus usually has an intention that's clear if we understand the basic principle. In fact, what do he say? If you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the parables? And as you read verses 3 to 8, you know he's talking about something more than seeds and soils. So what's the deeper meaning? How, how, what is the analogy that he has in mind? How do you distill it down? Well, the key then is to know that it's intentional on Jesus' part and to then look at identifying what that is. And usually the key is in the characters. The key to understanding the parables is very often in looking at the characters 
And by the way, that's a little tricky because characters don't have to be people. You know, yeah, there are sons and there are servants and there are kings and there are rulers, but there are also seeds and soils. So in the case of a parable, we would call those characters. Those key components. Usually there's three. Sometimes there's only one. Sometimes there's two. But very often there's three characters. And the heart of the meaning, the getting at, identifying what Jesus is trying to say, involves understanding those characters, looking at those characters, and then saying, how does this apply to kingdom reality? What is his intention? And one of the ways you do this, you look for the contrasts. If there, if there is one authority figure and two servants, one's probably going to make a good choice, one's probably going to make a bad choice. What's the contrast? What's it telling me? And, and who does the servant stand for? Who does the authority figure stand for? As we look at this passage here with the sower, and we'll go more into this next week, so I'm not going to barely scratch the surface, but as we look at this, the seed is very clearly the Word of God. Verse 19 implies that. Uh, Matthew 13, verse 19. When anyone hears the Word of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. So he's saying in verse 19, it's a, the seed is the Word of the kingdom. It's implied. He makes it explicit as Luke tells the story in Luke 8.11, as Mark tells it in chapter 4, verse 14. You know, it... The seed is the Word of God. It is the message. The soil is three different types of people, right? Verse 19, the, the, anyone who hears the Word of the kingdom and does not understand it, that is like the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. Verse 20, the one on whom the seed was sown in the rocky places, this is the man who hears the Word and immediately receives it. The, the different types of soil are different types of people. And the emphasis then is on those two things, the seed and the soil. And then there's the sower who's kind of in the background a little bit scattering the seed. And Jesus doesn't say who that is. And we could say it could be him. In the next parable, the wheat and the weeds, he says that the, the one who's sowing the seeds there is the son of man. Uh, he doesn't say that in this parable, but it could be him. It, it could be anyone who scatters the seed of God's Word. It could be you. It could be me. As we share God's Word, people will respond differently. And the people with the good soil are going to respond with fruit in abundance. That's clearly the heart, key component of this message. And then you could say there's actually the other character is actually three different types of the same character. Those who don't receive the word in a good way. There's those whose hearts are hard. There's those who spring up with some response. And there are, there are those who the cares of the world choke it out. So you still kind of have three characters. You've got the sower and the seed. You've got the soils and the seed. We'll dig into that more. But the important thing to remember as we're considering how to understand the parables is to look at the characters, to identify, okay, so the sower might be the son of man, the, the seed is the word of God, the soils are different responses. So 
So what's going on as we dig into those? Well, people can respond to the word in different ways. And some people are going to see an abundant harvest. But even the abundant harvest, it's going to be super abundant for some and, and you know, a third of that for others. What does that mean? I, I don't know, you know. It could be that someone else shares the gospel and, you know, they keep getting, like a friend of mine, people who go, well, what must I do to be saved? Just walking by them on the street. Hey, buddy, what must I do to be saved? I'm like, why doesn't anybody ever ask me that question, you know? He just gets that question from people, and he's not even doing anything, but then he, of course, does stuff at work, and he's much more friendly. His, his resting face is, is more smiley and open than mine is, uh, you know, to go along with my dry sense of humor. But anyway, you know, these, these, these responses to God's Word, and the thing to be very careful then as you do this is to recognize that not everything in the parable is going to align with something in a spiritual reality, Right? to find the key characteristics. And it's got to harmonize with the other parts of Scripture and the context. It's got to fit within that framework. And it's probably going to be something that's somewhat challenging to you. Something that transforms you. Something that is super important for you, for your life, for the world, for the church, for humanity. And so as you dig in, as you, as, you, as you line up with corresponds, because you've looked at what's surprising, and you've listened the content and the context, you get to this hardest part, you then live it out. Live out what you learn. And this is how you will know that you've got the right sense of the passage. If there is something challenging in you, to you and, and you're willing to say, you know what, I have to change. Or I'm encouraged because that is a distinction I didn't realize was something God wanted. Praise the Lord for shaping me in that way already. I mean, this is the error of the experts who heard Jesus, but because they did not respect him, because they were not really willing to listen to him, when he tried arguing with them and refuting them from scriptures, what did they do? rejected him. And they said, nah, you don't understand that right. I had, this, I had this conversation with a Jehovah's Witness one time. And it was, it was totally the Holy Spirit guided me this way. I showed him something in Revelation. I was like, hey, have you ever noticed this? It says here, um, these words, who is, one is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Who's that speaking to? And he looks at it and he's like, well, that's saying Jesus. I said, yeah, that's what I read that too. I said, that's the funniest thing. If you go back to the end of the book of Revelation, around chapter 20, 21, 22, I can't remember now, when uh, we looked that up, I said, look what it says there. You know, he's the first and the last, beginning and the end. Who's it speaking to? Well, that looks like it's saying Almighty God. And they would say Jehovah. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought too. What does that mean then for who Jesus is? Ah, we must have misunderstood the first one. And he's like, let's go back to the first one. That's what happens. Right? That is what happens. When you try to argue someone who's not open into the truth. And so, by the way, I try to spend time with Jehovah's Witnesses just to waste their time. <laughs> so you don't have to. You're welcome. Right? They're not going to sway me. I have this much chance of swaying them. God could do it, right? But if I waste their time, they're not spending that with someone else. I don't encourage you, unless you've spent a lot of time in God's Word, unless you are prepared and ready, do not spend time with them. 
Try to give them something. Try to point them to something. They won't take it. They're not really listening. And they won't be convinced if you go to the Greek and you try to show them that halagos means the word, you know, and if it's not, it's not a word. Jesus wasn't a. You can't, you can't argue because they're convinced. And brothers and sisters, that's the way it works. We should have a reason for the hope that is within us, which implies some defense of our faith. Yes. And we ought to have this conviction and a testimony, a witness to who we believe Jesus is and what he is doing in our lives that we can say, you know what, as I read this parable, it's amazing. Look at what Jesus says. He says stuff's going to happen. If we listen to his word, we're going to have this fruit, this abundant fruit, and it's going to overflow. Isn't that amazing? Look at this story. And someone who's like, not ready to have an argument with you about different Greek clauses and prepositions, might listen to that. Well, there's a story about soils and seeds. You can say, yeah, you know, I, I, I read this and I didn't know. People sit down to teach. Did you know that? And you can just walk through the story and you can say, you know what? Here's what Jesus has done in my life. Can I share that with you? And I hope as you look at the story, as you understand these things, that you're like, this is what I want to live out, Jesus. You are so amazing. And in fact, you begin to understand what he says here. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Verse 17, truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear. Did you, do you realize what a great and precious gift you have living on this side of the cross, living on this side of what Jesus has done and is coming, that you can look at his words and God can give you the ears to hear, the eyes to see, that he has transformed so many of your hearts that you would want to hear this and that you can find this joy. And I find it exciting. Of course, I like, I like mysteries. I like murder mysteries. I like to figure out who done it and stuff like this. It's kind of like that. But if you like wordle and figure out the word, if you like crossword puzzles, if you like understanding things at all and you're a human being, so you do, dig into these parables. Dig in with us in this season as we go through. Dig in this week. Read chapter 13, 1 to 23, you know, if you can, try it every day. And just ask the Lord, hey, Lord, how, how does this work? You know, what, what, what is the content here, Lord? What am I reading? What's the context? What's going on? Maybe you read the chapter before, the chapter after. Who are you, Jesus? And then look, look, at, look at what's surprising to them. Look what you need to look up. And then line up. Try your, try your hand. What's, what's he saying? I'm not, I'm, you know, we'll, we'll compare notes next week, Lord willing. What does it mean that there's that abundant harvest? What does it mean that there's four different soils? What does it mean that it's seeds being scattered? Apply yourself to that this week. See what happens as you dig in. And I, I think if you're willing to give it a little effort, if you're, if you're opening up, if you're willing to listen to Jesus and consider what he has to say, if you, if you, if you want to hear him, you want to know him, God's going to do something this week in your life, in your heart. And if you feel like you're further down the road than just digging into that parable, take it to the next level and say, who can I share this with? Maybe it's my children. You know, maybe it's my friend, my neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody just riding on the subway. But dig in this week 
and see if in digging into this word, you don't begin to experience this joy and know that you are blessed. That God is working in you and through you. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you that, that we are on this side of the cross and we can see who you are. We have your word. We live in a day and age where every single person in this room has about no excuse for not having a Bible in a language that means something to us that we can understand. Now, we live in a community right here in this body where there are so many people who understand your word and have been studying it for years and will continue to study it for the rest of their lives should you tarry. And we can, we can learn from one each other, from one another. And oh Lord, there are so many tools. Lord, bless. Make us better as we go through this parable series to appreciate who you are and what you've done. And Lord, to apply it and live out what we're learning, including just studying your word in this parable this week. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.